0: Welcome into the Husker twenty four seven podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, returning from hiatus, joining Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. It is game week. Gentlemen, can you believe we are finally here?
1: Thirty nine weeks, forty weeks of off season. But nobody was counting. Yeah. I retroactively counted. It felt like at least that much. <laughs> Maybe more. Yeah.
0: Brian, I, feel, I feel good. You're um, ready to go?
2: Yeah. It feels like it's later in the week than it is already. but Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's Wednesday, and
1: it feels like it should be Friday to me.
0: But. You just
2: want to hit somebody, <laughs> right? Well,
1: tired of hitting each other, want to hit somebody else.
0: No, no hitting necessary around here. Uh, Nebraska looking to do some hitting this weekend. I know a number of players have spoke this week talking about how they're excited to face somebody else other than their own team. We also got... Well, let's just start with this, because this just happened an hour and a half ago. So let's just lead in with the news of Andre Hunt, Kateri and Legron, both suspended indefinitely. Um, we don't know the particulars of the situation surrounding those two players, but it does seem like uh, that this is
2: going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, it... it It sounds serious whenever you throw the word suspended indefinitely into the equation. Um, And what's – you know, all we can really speak about right now is how they were coming along as players and sort of the sudden jolt or the reaction of, oh, they're not on the depth chart now. And um, it it is interesting from that football perspective because – Andre Hunt was working with the number ones uh, a lot of the time. We saw him, and I, you know, it, when Troy Walters would name off guys ever since March, who were doing well that weren't named J.D. Spielman. Andre Hunt was always one of the first one or two names he would bring up. So that's significant for a a guy who was really positioning himself well. And uh, Lagrone was having a really good off season too, and was going to obviously play a lot more and. uh now this suddenly opens up, you know, they, they've got three good tight ends, or especially two at the top in stolen and Allen, so it's not like they're in desperation mode at all there. Uh, but it's a loss, and it maybe opens some things up for Chris Hickman now, who knows, to maybe play a little bit this year.
1: Yeah, that's what uh, Becton said earlier today, right? Yeah, he was talking, uh, you know, about the fact that the next guy up for them is Chris Hickman, all 212 pounds of him. Um followed by Bryson Kroll uh, out of North Platte um, as kind of the fifth tight end. But, you know, it, from the way that Sean Becton talked about it, um, you know, Chris Hickman is not just a just-in-case kind of guy. He said, you know, don't be surprised if you see him in there as early as the first quarter uh, in some form or fashion. I mean, obviously he's not going to be, you know, t- kind of taking on that Jack Stoll role of being an inline blocker, but he's a guy that can stretch the field. They like what he can do as a receiver. uh and said he's a willing blocker um, you know isn't afraid to take on a 295 pound defensive end uh, which is good I guess how effective he is like, you know blocking against a guy like that I don't he's know willing. yeah he's willing um, but uh, yeah I, th- that's kind of where things stand at the tight end spot you know that's one area where you do have decent depth where you can weather that I think
0: yeah, the the thing that hurts with LeGrone is that they were basically counting on him to be a little bit of a change-up from those guys like Stoll and Allen and Raftall. And Becton earlier in fall camp spoke about when they go out and they're recruiting tight ends right now, especially with the addition of Travis Vokalek, who won't be able to play until next year. They wanted to find some guys opposite of what they already sort of had, and they wanted a little bit more like Katarian Legron or Chris Hickman. So this kind of speaks to the opportunity that Chris Hickman now has. I mean, I don't think he was going to play a lot. And then this obviously occurs, and they they want somebody a little bit different out there, uh, giving different looks, doing some different things. So we'll, we'll see what that does uh, for Chris Hickman. And then with wide receiver, I mean, this also probably explains a little bit the rise of uh, – J.B. on McQuitty, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the ashes, if you will. And and some of those other guys that are there on the, the depth chart right now at wide receiver, which is a a big room in terms of the numbers. But the production, you know, we'll see which of these guys kind of show up Saturday against South Alabama. Uh, it's a great opportunity for the Mike Williams and the Jaron Woodyards and the JV on McQuitties, uh, those kind of guys to, to go out and produce. Uh, and put up numbers that they want to in college football instead of kind of what they have have done in the past.
2: Well, I think it also speaks to the importance of the addition of Kona uh, Noah. You know, that if if he weren't there right now and you had something like this happen, there'd probably be a little bit more hand-wringing. Uh, but you've got Kona Noah who he, he missed some of camp with injury, but yet still found his way to the top line. And then... They're not holding down the expectations at all about Wandale Robinson. I mean, Troy Walters today just saying he's making wow plays at all the different positions, and he's just a guy you got to get on the field as much as possible. So uh, for those who don't like the hype, you know, cover your earmuffs or put the earmuffs on. But, uh, and cover them. Yeah, cover them up. Yeah, That'll get you, you the double level. The Walk earmuffs. them up tight. Yeah, thanks for making fun of my <laughs> verbal slip there. <laughs> <laughs> not us but uh wandale wandale's gonna play a whole lot and he's gonna be everywhere
0: yeah and there's you know he's gonna be really intriguing to watch all season long i kind of suspect that uh they're gonna try to get him the ball pretty early
1: against south alabama and let him go to work wandale yeah is that going to be an oddly specific prediction for you in the hype cast well that's a good, good that's a good uh, good drop there
0: and, and you know, BC even mentioned hype. If you do like hype, if you want all of the hype you can possibly get on Fridays, the hype cast returns all season long as we preview Nebraska's opponent each week. So we will have that podcast out later this week. But, no, that won't be my bold prediction in, in the hype cast. Uh, but I do think that they're going to have some certain packages where they're able to get Wandale And, and not just Wandale, but, you know, J.D. Spielman. Uh, Miles Jones, Ryan Held talked a little bit today about how Wandale and Jones have spent some time at running back, too, this fall camp. And that's something that we saw when we've been over there in the spring and in the fall. But... You kind of forget about it when you see it on the depth chart that they're listed at wide receiver. But they have a variety of ways to utilize the athleticism, and I think we're going to see that pretty early in the game against South Alabama.
1: Are we segueing to depth chart talk? Yeah, let's just go ahead because
0: we don't have much more we can add on the suspension side of things other than it creates opportunities for some of these guys. And murky futures for uh, Andre Hunt and Katerian LeGrone until, you know, they're able to, to kind of go through this. I
1: mean, it's an internal matter for now. So depth chart uh, rolled out on Monday. Highly anticipated depth chart. Uh, we already knew that Cam Jurgens was going to be the starter at center. That, that uh, little nugget was dropped last Friday. Brian. Yes. Any surprises to you from the depth chart that, that stood out? Besides Andre yeah, Hunt not the being there, the initial
2: one was Hunt, and after that was cl- cleared up, you you figure that out. But uh, not, not really. Um, I guess from a big picture standpoint, it didn't surprise me that this is how it came out within the lat. From what we've been hearing, this camp, but the the lack of Tyron Ferguson talk, and then him being beat out by Alex Davis. Uh, that would have shocked me if you told me that like back in even May or June, I think. Mm-hmm. like I would, have, I would not have seen that come coming as much as Alex Davis was being talked up. So the outside linebacker thing, while not a surprise once we got to that day, I think most people, if you step back a couple months, you would have said, really, JoJo Doman and Ferguson aren't the starting outside backers? You're going to be starting Caleb Tanner and Alex Davis. And so Caleb Tanner, to me, is one of those guys who it's not like A ton has been written or said about him this offseason, and part of it was because he had a couple surgeries he had to get over in the spring that held him back. Uh, But, you know, this is a guy who was one of the best recruits in that class from a ranking standpoint uh, last year. And uh, Mo Berry says has great, great speed, extremely fast, he says, and he expects him to make a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage, kind of tracking people down. Uh, So he's going to be fun to watch on – on Saturday to see if he can play uh, a little more loose and also with kind of that understanding of, hey, this is how I fit into the whole picture of what this defense is doing.
0: Yeah, I am excited to see second year Caleb Tanner. Um, I'm excited to see a, a number of guys on that defense. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast going back to the spring, really going back to probably the first conversation we had with, Travis Fisher before the spring even started and then a Markel Dismute came up and he went pretty heavily on what Markel had been doing in the, the winter. And that's just continued. I mean, uh, I think it was Eric Shenander the other day who was raving about what Markel had been doing uh, and that he's such a great teammate and that he's a totally different player. I mean, this is a guy that has a pretty physical presence. He was a four-star recruit. Sometimes it takes a little bit for the light bulb to click on, but he's got two full seasons that he can help Nebraska and I think putting him next to Deontay Williams is going to create a really exciting group for Nebraska at safety. I, I, that's probably the unit on the team that I think is as strong as anything that isn't quarterback at this point. And I expect that secondary to go and make plays, to you know not just knock the ball up in the air, but to pick it off, to not just pick it off, but then to turn it into offense. I mean, one of the things Travis Fisher talked about, when he came to Nebraska is that he wants to get defensive backs in the mindset that first you're a defender and then you're an offensive player because when they had Mike Hughes and some of the guys they had at UCF, they finished those interceptions a lot of times with long returns that set up their offense, sometimes with touchdowns. So I I expect that defensive backfield to be productive and disruptive. A
1: couple, couple guys that stood out to me um... – a little bit farther down the depth chart, I guess. Maybe not starters, but um, you've got Darian Chase uh, making the opening depth chart a very crowded uh, wide receiver group. Um, Isaiah Stallbird, maybe a, a surprise at the second safety spot there. They really like him. Yeah. Uh, they really like um, him. Pride of Carney. Yep. Um, Quentin Newsom, an- another guy that they are uh, extremely high on in the secondary. Uh, also there. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be kind of intriguing to see how, you know, the, you're expecting that this weekend you're going to have a lot of guys rolling in and out because Nebraska's going to be up big um, and, and you're going to see, get to see some of these guys. But, uh, you know, the, the the offensive line depth chart kind of shook out, I think, as we expected it to. Yep. That there weren't a ton of surprises. Um, you know, how, how much do we see of those backups as well is probably a question especially with jurgens who it sounds like he's going to be you know kind of not limited in reps but they're going to be really careful with him
2: yeah and uh, i think it's worth noting if sorry if you guys mentioned it but austin allen catching stole and on the depth chart at tight end um that's a tribute to austin allen uh jack Stoll, i don't think has fallen off there so they finally feel like they've got multiple tight ends they can throw out there. And I think you'll even see them on the field at the same time. I've always thought Austin Allen has the frame and the athleticism. And of course his you can just talk about his height to begin with to really take off as a receiver in this offense. And I fully expect that those guys are going to be, I would, I would bet at least one of those guys is in the end zone at some point on Saturday, um, And then Juergens is – it's fascinating to hear guys talk this week, you know. Carlos Davis says, yeah, it's just different going against that O-line when Juergens is out there compared to the others. All the coaches have flat out just said that, which coaches wouldn't always say because that's kind of murky territory where you want to praise a guy but not hurt the other guys who are behind him. Um, Greg Austin said he has a quiet grit about him, which –
1: you, you do, too, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. Would you say that, Schaefer? Brian's got s-
1: quiet grit. I don't know if I ought <laughs> put it in those
2: terms. <laughs> He's just mad about the Ale Central right now. Otherwise, he would totally... Oh, there's the grit. <laughs> 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 he would totally give me a quiet grit. if. if oh. uh,
0: look, if you're just asking for the quiet grit, it means you're not really that quiet or grit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Anyway, Jergens. <laughs> He's got grit, and he's kind of quiet. So, uh, and he's apparently he's explosive. Um, he's about two eighty 280 to two eighty five right now, they say. And he was asked specifically, Greg Austin was today, "Are you worried?" Because this is a question that always comes up. Are you worried about his size, the weight he's put on, and that being making him injury prone? And Greg Austin's answer was that uh, Dave Ellis and all those guys, active all, they have a, they look at each guy and they figure it out through their research and all their knowledge of what a guy can handle and he says it's not, it shouldn't be a problem at all so that that's their answer to that question there's
1: part of me that wouldn't mind going to dave ellis and just asking what i could handle like what, what's what's my what's my weight what's range, your dave? weight distribution yeah and he, he takes one look at me and is like man what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing with your life
2: yeah i don't i don't think i would uh i would fare that well with uh Casey Rogers says they, also review?
1: they put 50 pounds on him and maybe another 20 to go from where he started. On Casey Rogers, yeah, yeah he yeah. came in at 249. They said he could take, be up to 315.
2: These, I wonder what they would say about Bryce Benhart. Um, Greg Austin said he, he's well. <laughs> Greg Austin said he's like 310 to 315 now, and I remember his high school coach telling 24/7 Sports like a year ago that this, it was some absurd number in the high 300s that Bryce <laughs> Benhart could be and still be, like, effective athletically. But seriously, that he does have such, like, a lean frame for a 310-pound guy. It's amazing.
0: One of the things that Javon DeWitt said yesterday that could really kind of hit with somebody like Bryce Benhart is that Garrett Nelson went from basically 225 Maybe he was 235 his senior year of high school football, but now he's 260. Mm-hmm. And DeWitt said a lot of that had to do with the fact that because he isn't wrestling anymore and you're sort of out of that mindset, not that Nelson was ever cutting weight, but, like, all of those drills, all of the practices, you're just constantly, your body is just losing. And so he feels like the guys that go from wrestler to just playing football, their body speeds up in almost the amount of mass that they can put on. So we're talking about Bryce Benhart, like, right now, probably, I don't know what his listed weight is at, but he could be 25 pounds heavier in a short amount of time.
1: Once they stop running in trash bags, they can (laughs) put on more weight.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, it uh, makes sense.
1: Yeah. It makes sense.
0: Uh, Garrett Nelson I want to bring up uh, if we're just jumping around. Oh, yeah, Garrett Nelson. From from people to – He's on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I distinctly remember multiple conversations with Garrett as a recruit in which he swore to me that he would not redshirt at Nebraska. He had no intention of redshirting. If they wanted him to redshirt, he would figure out what he had to do to not redshirt. Uh, He would hold kicks. He would punt. He would do whatever they needed so he didn't have to redshirt. And uh, right now, he's on that path, and I asked DeWitt about that. And he's like, yeah, that's a guy that you know, he told us that he's never – had no intention of redshirting. So, whatever he could do to put himself in position, mm-hmm. and we just kept finding things for him to do, and he kept putting himself in position. So, Garrett Nelson's going to be one of those kind of fun stories to track over the next few years. Um, but that's a guy that set very lofty goals for himself, and he just keeps knocking him down. And I'm excited to see him play on Saturday, as much as I am somebody like Wandale Robinson, uh, because I think Garrett Nelson could be an important part of this football team sooner than later.
1: It's And it's worth saying about nelson too that you know he he's not having to do odd jobs to get on the field either like he's no. firmly in the mix in that outside linebacker spot special and teams he's they a lot of stuff. yeah on special teams i mean they're they, and it's not just you know
0: the sort of i don't know why i'm thinking of the replacements have you guys seen the replacements oh yeah gene hackman goes to john favreau and he's like go get me the ball yeah that scene like that's kind of how i think of it's garrett kind of nelson amazing sometimes that
2: john favreau played uh yeah Played a guy like he played a, in A movie. linebacker. Yeah. Danny Bateman, I think, is his name.
0: <laughs> but he's like, go give me the ball. Like, that's how I feel, you know, with Garrett Nelson. But he's also going to be helpful in terms of their return unit, I think, too. Because he can go out there and be physical and block and be athletic and set some things up for him. So, what was the
2: QB's name in that movie? Shane Falco. He's a member of our board. Shane Falco was uh, played for Florida State, correct? And had a bad sugar ball? I thought
0: he played against Florida State. And I then thought- quicksand.
2: Yeah, he had a terrible sugar bowl that yeah. he was still trying to shake from his mind.
0: Eddie Martell was the other quarterback. Yeah,
2: that's that's about all I remember. We about. saw Garrett Nelson walking out of the building. He's really, he's he's put together Brunson item, and his hair was blowing. It was blowing in the wind like a like a photo shoot. Yeah,
1: <laughs> is he gonna be like Brian Bosworth by the time
0: this
2: thing is over?
1: <laughs> he's well, already he's already passed the Bos like in length of that thing. Yeah, I think. It's,
0: uh, hopefully
2: not. In some ways, if, if he plays like him. Yeah. Just leave some of the other stuff off. All
0: right. Um are there other players we want to get to from the from the depth chart or from practice in general? How about this? You guys were in the room. I was not because I'm part of the hallway crew, but I had a good time reading the uh reading the chat transcript or the, the press conference transcript. Did you expect that Dietrich Mills would be as uh Good in front of the podium as somebody who basically just avoided interviews for an entire year?
1: Uh, that was a surprise to me. I Ian. was surprised that he would was more than one word. I mean, yeah. you, a lot of what the messages yes. were that you could, Yes. No. No. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm arriving. Yes. <laughs> that's, so. that's the entire log of uh, interaction I had with him from September of last year to, you know, May.
1: It, w- when you hear him talk it makes sense why he plays the way that he does. Um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, had gone to Georgia Tech, had success, bounced back to, to junior college after uh, some issues there. And, you know, it's he's a guy that's hungry. He wants to prove himself. He's been given a second chance. And, you know, from talking to Ryan Held and, and hearing what they think about Dietrich Mills, he doesn't – he doesn't take plays off in practice and they're not expecting this to be a situation where on Saturday or, you know, the following week against Colorado that he's in any way odd or has difficulty adjusting to this level of college football. Like they, I, I think there's a lot of confidence over there in North stadium that, that he's going to be a really good player for him and, and ready to be counted oh, on.
2: He's a, he's a four towel guy. Yeah. A lot of laundry. <laughs> he said he, uh, Two big towels, two small towels is his practice. What he needs to wipe the sweat off during a practice. But he's also a football is life guy. He he had one of those traumatic quotes, which I appreciated, um, where he says, "This is my life." You know, I football. loved it. It was a great quote. You know, uh, but it didn't make
0: Brunt's top quotes from the press conference. Yeah, US,
2: what is up with you? I, I don't know. <laughs> so disappointing. Sorry. Who elected you the guy
0: that gets to pick all the quotes? You're welcome to do it. No, you can have it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he said a number, too, 1,500, uh, that he's going to go chase down, he says. It's a big number. <laughs> you know, one off. of the
0: things that's interesting with Mills is that he's from such predominantly heavy rushing attacks, mm-hmm. like that with Garden City and then before that, Georgia Tech. He hasn't had to do two things that he's going to be asked to do a lot in this offense going to be involved in the passing game either as a receiver or as a blocker. And he hadn't – I mean, he had to to go through and learn pass protection and Held spoke today about that and said that he's actually pretty happy with how Mills has done as someone who's never had to do pass protection and that he has better hands than what people might realize because he hasn't had to catch the ball out of the backfield yeah. really ever. And so they're they're kind of excited that both of those things he took to very quickly – which to hell kind of spoke to the level of athletic acumen that Diedrich Mills has is that he just was able to jump right in and was doing things he hadn't been asked to do for, you know, years.
2: He's also one of those guys. And we, we wrote about this where he, he pointed out, he said, okay, who on the defensive side of the ball gets me ready to tackle this part of the game, like pass protection. And he's, he, found mo berry he said now that's a guy who if i can go up against him in practice and i can hold my own and pass pro when he's coming i can hold my own against anybody in the big 10 so him and mo berry who are two georgians uh have kind of hit it off in a competitive manner um and you can tell mo berry really appreciates dedrick mills and just what he's all about where you know dedrick mills is like pointing at him before plays like bring it and mo berry is like you sure about that dude you know and but but he he does it and he's also become close with maurice washington Diedrich mills they i think they kind of feed off each other they're, they're different styles of running back uh but they're uh but they i think they see hey that guy's really good i need to i need to get in his company
1: uh i guess a little trivia for you trivia with, with the 1500 yard mark uh If he gets to 1,500 yards, where would that rank all-time in a season for running back at Nebraska? Rushing, excuse me, not just running back. 1,500? Yeah. Third. You're you're typing over there. Third.
2: No, I'm not looking it up. uh, I would say 1,500 on the dot would put him like seventh.
1: Hmm. I went third. Seventh it is. Really? It is? Yeah. He would be, uh, Amir Abdullah is sixth right now with 1,611 yards. Uh, he would be right behind, right, right ahead of Ken Clark, um, I from the 1988 season. Kid. Yeah. So that would be a, that'd be a hell of a debut.
2: It's pretty
0: impressive
1: BC.
2: Well, I was just like, yes, I, I, well, yeah. is there
0: a reason that seven came out to you?
2: I've written about, I re- remember with Amir writing enough times that he was like fifth or sixth with that ah. one season that I think I was, I, I just kind of played it off of that.
0: I recall looking at this before, and there was some other number. It wasn't 1,500, but it was a different number. And then just thinking, like, there wasn't that many running backs that have – you think of, like, all of the running backs through Nebraska's history, and there haven't been, like, that many seasons that have eclipsed, like, such a high number like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, part of it was – Because like, they don't play long was, enough. The, you just, they were 11-game seasons, yep. you know, and, and those guys – they were so good back then where they were just kicking teams' butt. Like, right. A guy who had a good day would get pulled out after like 165 yards or something. And eight carries. Yeah. So, that, I think that's part of it. All
0: right. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Nebraska's recruiting as of late. Two more running backs into the fold. We'll <laughs> hit on Marvin Scott. We will hit on Sevion Morrison. And we will discuss what might be next in Nebraska recruiting.
3: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: And we are back. Hopefully you enjoyed those messages from our sponsors. I'm still Mike Schaefer, and there's still Michael Bruntz and Brian Christofferson, and we're still talking Nebraska football. The Huskers picked up two commitments in the last time that you've had a podcast. Both running backs, Marvin Scott, Seveon Morrison, neither one deterred that the other wanted in. Uh, both commit to Nebraska, basically I think effectively ending Nebraska's running back recruiting for the 2020 class. Do you guys have thoughts on either of these two guys based on what you've watched or what you've read or what you've heard
1: thus far? Well, I, I think that uh, Scott's intriguing because he, he's – So you're out on Morrison. That's my I, takeaway. I'll, I'll, I'll circle around. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think Scott, the fact that he's got the powerlifting background, that, that's, uh, that's intriguing. I think um, both of these guys very productive uh, during their high school careers, and I, I think you know they you you look at kind of just the con- continual rebuild of that running back room, and these guys are going to fit right in. Um, you know you can see them complement each other fairly well, I think, and not just you know telling each other good job when the other one does does well. But um, beyond that, I think that you know it, it's just goes to show you you know when, when Ryan Held really sinks his teeth into a recruit, and Sean Becton certainly had a a huge role to play, Martin Scott, but uh, you really have to like what they've done and and the guys that they've found at that running back spot. Yeah, I I really
0: like what they have in this duo. I mean, you have two highly productive running backs, two guys that have a nose to find the end zone, two kind of complementing styles in the sense that I think Morrison is maybe a little bit more Track explosive, he gets to the outside, he's gone. You can utilize him in a different way than you would Marvin Scott. I don't look. I look at Marvin Scott as sort of the guy that could replace Mills at yeah. some point. Um, and I look at Sevion Morrison more in the vein of Ramir Johnson or um, Nebraska doesn't have a lot of examples like this yet, but more of the Duck R type. Like I think they're going to utilize him in the receiving game and getting him out on the edge and running. You know, sort of like what they did with Kenyon Barner and, and some of those players. So I, I think the, the complementary nature of these two running backs speaks to just the kind of room that Nebraska is building. And what fascinates me about both of them is that you go look at their, their offer lists, Marvin Scott in particular. I mean, he has a lot of notable offers in there. He's only a three-star on the, the services right now. but. I, I think Nebraska looked at these two in terms of evaluations and have them a lot higher on the board than where the recruiting services have their running backs ranked. Marvin
2: Scott, he's listed 5'9", 203. So you're right with like the that Diedrich Mills kind of comparison. Because when M- Mills stood up there the other day, I, Mills was listed as way more than he is, I think. He's listed at 5'11", and I was like, no. No. that 5'8", 5'9"? I don't know, something like that. So Marvin Scott is kind of a clone of that Um, I like that these guys you know they they jumped on it I think some of these running backs are sensing if I want to be a part of that program and what they're going to do I got to raise my hand and get in there because someone else is going to take that spot and so uh, I think those guys probably sense that and let's get this out of the way here in August and, you know, early August and and move on.
0: Well, think about it this way. If you're interested in being a running back at Nebraska and you have the door open to you, the last thing you probably want to do is wait too long because if this offense goes in the way that it could go, just in September, the interest in Nebraska, I think, is going to rise pretty dramatically. I mean, I just – I, I think they're poised – you know, we'll get into this throughout the season in the hype cast and the other podcasts. I mean, I, I think they're poised to sort of rewrite kind of the narrative of Nebraska football in the last ten years. And, and for a lot of these guys, you know, the guys in high school right now, three out of the last four seasons for Nebraska have been losing seasons. They haven't had an explosive offense. They haven't had a particularly fun offense. They haven't been particularly notable if you live in Port Orange, Florida. But when they start stacking up some of these highlights, when you see – Mills ripping things off and Wandale Robinson being involved and J.D. Spielman and all of the different ways that they can highlight athleticism and, oh, by the way, you got a Heisman-level quarterback. To me, it, it seems that this offense, if you were a skilled position player and you had the opportunity to commit in the summer, that door is probably closing a lot faster by the time we get to October.
2: And it's, we're a long ways from a f- few years ago. Uh, as much as I like the particular position coach as a person who was here, where it felt like it was you're pulling teeth to try to get a running back, yes. you know, um, it's it's just so different. And Ryan Held, we know, everybody knows, is a great recruiter. I think you got to get Sean beckton Apparently, is someone to mention with Scott. very good, yeah. Um, and beckton continues to have that kind of fatherly quality. I think that when he's in the room, it's like I don't want to disappoint dad <laughs> type of thing, and that goes a long ways as being kind of a closer.
0: Sean Vecton demands your attention. You with can his sense eye it
2: too when you talk to him. Like I feel like I feel like I need to straighten out my shirt a little bit when I go over to interview. Stop my, slouching my a little bit.
0: Stand up straight. You yeah. got to look him in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's forces eye contact out of you. <laughs> it really is. what demands it. Comes it. Down to. I mean, you guys have been there. Yeah. You've ever interviewed him one on one. You're not looking anywhere else.
2: That's why see now Uh, now once once ever a person ever brings up eye contact, then you feel like you gotta make eye contact with (laughs) see now I'm making eye contact with Schaefer. (laughs) You make eye
0: contact with Slider. He'll look away. He's out. Um,
2: (laughs) then then you just got a
1: staring contest on your hands. Yeah, Yeah, you can. And he'll he'll play for a while.
0: Um all right. I I ran this article on Husker twenty four seven on Wednesday. And I'm going to run through it quickly. Nebraska had 11 official visitors for the 2020 class this spring and summer. So far, they've gotten five commitments out of the nine that have made decisions. So a little more than half. And there's still two big ones out there. Omar Manning, Shea Bryant Strother. There's a a run of crystal balls for Nebraska and Omar Manning. He looks good in the sense that this is a target Nebraska's gone after pretty heavily. Ryan Held's involved in that recruitment. Troy Walter's involved in that recruitment. Uh, I think that Manning sees plenty of opportunity as a wide receiver at Nebraska, and he would give them something that they don't necessarily have in their current group of wide receivers, as he's a, six, two and a half, you know, 220 pounds. He went for 182 yards, I think, in his first junior college game this season, two touchdowns. This is a guy that they want to get on the board you know, sooner than later, but he might be sort of the, the Dedrick Mills of last year's class. Mills was a bigger surprise. I don't think people saw that commitment coming in the way that they would with Manning, but that's a, Mills is a guy Nebraska's staff went out, and they targeted very heavily because they felt like he could help really early in his career, and he's just a different level of talent. Mills was a freshman All-American. Omar Manning – before he ended up back at junior college, was one of the top receivers in the country in the 2017 class. He went to TCU, bounced back out of there, now he's at Kilgore, and now he's going to end up somewhere else. So Nebraska's doing a nice job identifying some talent in some different areas. With this class right now, they're at 10 commitments. We're projecting that they are going to get in the neighborhood of 23, I think is kind of where I'm seeing things at the moment. Is there... Uh, a major need that you feel like has to be addressed in this class or that th- they haven't yet addressed at this point
1: in the 10 commitments well I mean linebackers is one that stands out to me uh, inside outside both both um, I, I think you need to, to keep adding depth there especially inside I mean it's you've kind of seen you know right now I mean obviously you know you, you're not going to have guys probably come in and play right away but you've seen this year, how quickly the, the depth kind of falls off at that spot. I would say that that's an area where you probably it probably need to focus. I mean, it's really defensive side of the ball for me going forward. I mean, it's you're not going to take all defensive players, but probably, what, three-quarters of the rest of your class is probably going to be defensive guys. Is that a fair number, do you yeah. think?
2: They've already got two running backs, two receivers, two linemen, one D lineman, one DB, and one quarterback. So I'd agree with Bruns. I think – I think linebacker's a spot, especially when you think about just the roster makeup. You know, I always look at it like not just who are seniors, but who are juniors right now because it's going to take at least a year usually to develop guys. Right. So in two years, when we're talking about Nebraska's linebacker situation, we're talking about it without Mo Berry, without Honus, without Colin Miller and uh, obviously there are some young players they're excited about in the program now, but you need to you need group on that and, you know, make it go from two or three guys to five or six. I just feel like they're just a little light there, and uh, coaches are pretty upfront about it, and they've said that's the area they got to hit hard, and, it, you know, it's got to happen here in the next few months.
0: They've, they've got a number of targets they yeah. like. I mean, there's, there's no question they're going to have some guys in over the next – few weeks they're not going to have an official visitor this weekend they will have people in from northern illinois and ohio state we will go through those names as we get closer to those times but it uh it'll be a quiet labor day really for the first time and since i've been doing this job i mean they've generally always had two to three people if not more in because this is a great weekend you get that extra day kids don't have school on monday uh, if you have a two thirty game and their flight gets in at twelve thirty, then they can hang around until you know later Sunday afternoon. No visitors this weekend, so it'll be kind of interesting just to track uh, one how big Ohio State gets, and, and two how many visitors they use during the season. Uh, is it they've still got a, a large amount of their class left to, to finish off?
1: The uh, no no Donovan Peoples Jones taking selfies uh, with with Gabrielle Union in, in the first. I thought it was always Damien Daniels that did that. I, I think it was all of them, but it was that uh, th- that first game. It always kind of felt like they, they kind of loaded up in that one, and it will be a little bit odd.
0: To, it's the Gabrielle game.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> Gabrielle
1: is she
0: going to be there?
2: Well, I don't know. Has that
0: been discussed?
2: But I, I like that the recruits shoot their shot when they when she's in. Well, town. Look,
0: I mean, you gotta you gotta take advantage of uh, of your your opportunities. All be- right, I think it is. Uh, I think it is time. Is it? I think it is. It is time, Kay. Brian. Why don't you give it a spin?
1: Whoa! It's been working out.
0: Yep. <laughs> I have. We didn't, those...
1: we, we didn't do the wheel yeah. last week. I assumed.
0: Um, now, Brian, I've got a question. When you why what, did you assume? I assumed that you didn't do the wheel. Yeah. Why? Because would you I say that? was <laughs> not here, and I just you guys getting the podcast off the ground. I think would have been a monumental win in itself. To gotcha. expect you to keep. What the, if we would have
1: just started with the wheel? It went really like nothing, and then it was just well, you've like... have done the whole podcast of the, of the wheel. <song> the wheel's still going, by the way. You could do a podcast of just the wheel. Okay.
0: Oh, it
2: stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for yep, sorry, Brian with... I,
0: I want answered based on the spin that he just threw on that wheel. Yeah. Do you do pull-ups or chin-ups?
2: Well, both. Both? Yeah, why would you not do both?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, some people can't do... Was it? Pull-ups? They struggle
2: with the pull-ups? Who are those people? <laughs> I mean, me. <laughs> 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 I could can, I can always do the chin-ups. Yeah. I didn't have the pull-up strength. I can't say I've done a lot of of either, to be honest with you. Oh, this isn't
0: part of your, like, CrossFit no. routine? My my,
2: uh, my regimen has not been very strong of late, hasn't
0: it? When football season gets here, do you find yourself rolling tires up hills a lot less?
2: Yeah, that that's definitely probably the case. I, I put the tires in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the The wheel, we've landed. And it said, uh, what's your most memorable Nebraska non-bowl game? So you can't say bowl game. Bonus points for obscurity.
0: Most memorable game?
2: Yeah, basically. That's not Does a bowl it, and game. And it
0: doesn't have to be something that we covered? No, it can be anything.
2: Hmm. I've got one. Okay. Um, my most memorable, I, I cried as a little kid about this. I was only five years old and it's really the first Husker game I remember. 1986 Nebraska Oklahoma and I was like in kindergarten or something and we back in those days they like forced you you like you had to wear red to school it was like a state. (laughs) They forced you? Yeah it was like a law. So you wore your little Husker Herbie Herbie Husker shirt to school and Nebraska shows up for this game in 86 wearing the all reds. This was the mm-hmm. infamous all reds look, which nowadays they would do better with because they're cooler, modern uniforms, but those uniforms in all reds sucked. And Oklahoma comes out, and Nebraska outplays them all game long, is up 17 to 10, and then they give up like a 90-yard touchdown drive. Uh, Keith Jackson, uh, this is actually not on that drive, but then they go three and out, and OU – Gets a long pass to tight end Keith Jackson, who maybe pushed off, maybe didn't. Sets up a field goal. So Oklahoma scores 10 points in the last three minutes. Wins 20 to 17. Is and this I, part
0: of the Sooner magic?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And I was just, like, devastated. Because in my young life, um, that was Oklahoma was like the devil. And Brian Bosworth was the devil, you know. There's also one funny part of that game. It's tied at 17, and if you find it on YouTube, the, the TV show Brian Bosworth on the sideline, like, mugging for the cameras, you know, like in a tie – well, it's a tie game, which should be disappointing to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I always was like, what's up with that, Boz, you know? But years later, I got to interview the Boz while I was at the college newspaper, and that was, like, to me, that was, like, talking to, like, the – you know the worst person you could think of. Was, he, actually, was he a nice guy? Yeah, he was a great. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, and he was awesome talking about Nebraska, Oklahoma. Did you
0: refer to him as Boz in the questions?
2: Hey, Boz, what about? No, I think I was. You were professional. I was pretty young in my uh, reporting career, and that voice was probably quivering a little bit. Sir, uh-huh. because it, it was the Boz. Yeah, it was very high pitched Simpson's like. Mr. Boz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Boz. So uh,
1: that's my answer. Okay, you got gonna, one. I, I'm i still struggling over here. You okay. you go with it. Uh, since it's not one that we – the stipulation was not one that we covered. Um, my most memorable one is uh, 92 Nebraska-Colorado in the rain. Um, I believe that was the second Nebraska game I ever saw in person and went with uh, some friends who were big-time Colorado fans, were kind of puffing their chests out a little bit based on the, the previous years results uh, kind of how things had gone and i just remember like you could like sense the anger in the crowd that day like people were pissed mm-hmm. and you know it's you know when you kind of think back and i'm sure i've probably you know built it up in my head a little bit but i remember the just the, the jubilation in the second half with how happy everybody was and like they like it was 52-7 i think was the final yeah. score everybody probably would have taken 100 easily and I I don't know I I think uh just the fact that we were my I've got Colorado fans in my family and the fact that we were there some Colorado fans it was uh particularly memorable I remember the car ride on the way home back to Omaha was uh pretty quiet on Halloween night yeah gave up trick-or-treating to to go watch that in the rain it was it was it was kind of like when you're a young kid, you're watching a football game in the yeah, ring. That that's was pretty fun. Game. Yeah, that was
2: an awesome game. The funny part about that is they played primetime on ESPN that week, and then they played primetime against Kansas, who had a good team that year, mm-hmm. the next week, and they beat them 49-7. to So everybody's like, oh, they're coming. And then they lost – that was the year they lost 19-10 to at Iowa State. Yep. So it's kind of a dramatic three weeks of Husker <laughs> football. I I think that's a I think that's a good segue
0: for, for where I'm going to go with this. Okay. Uh, I can't even, it was, it was 2002 and Nebraska was coming off of the, uh, the Penn state loss. My, my dad had decided it would be a good idea because he had never been to, I think at that point, hadn't been to a big 12 road game. Uh, he got on this like bus trip to go to Iowa state Oh no! and I tagged along. And so we're on this bus of like, you know, Nebraska fans that basically have talked themselves into whatever happened at Penn state was just a fluke. And it was a bad game and, you know, write it off because this team's going to be fine. And obviously, Iowa State and Seneca Wallace just kicked Nebraska's butt. Uh, But what it made it particularly memorable, it was a crappy day. Like, it was raining. Uh, It was kind of cold. I regretfully wore a long-sleeve Rose Bowl shirt, like Mm. Nebraska Rose Bowl shirt, from the previous year, where uh, obviously Nebraska had gotten their butt kicked in that game as well. And... What stands out to me still to this day is that in our section, Nebraska's losing, like, very early in that game. The only touchdown came on, like, oh, uh, I don't know. It, one of the one of the wide receivers basically had, like, a 90-yard touchdown. That was Nebraska's one score.
2: Maybe a Ross Pilkington. Ross
0: Pilkington <laughs> was the name in my head, but I wasn't sure if that's who it was. And I think it was, like, early in the second quarter or late in the second quarter, there's a guy in our section that, like, anytime there's – even like the brief sort of any good play for Nebraska, he would start ringing a cowbell. And my dad was just getting increasingly annoyed with this cowbell. (laughs) At one point, late in the first half, he turns around, sees the guy with the cowbell, and tells him if he rings it again, he's going to come over there and shove it up his ass. And the whole section just cheers. Like the loudest cheer of that game revolving around Nebraska fans was about someone being told to stop ringing a cowbell, so I think that qualifies as the most memorable, uh, or one of a more memorable Nebraska it's experience. A special father. No, no son violence memory. happened though.
2: Father son memory. Yeah,
0: uh, like and that was I think the last time we ever attended a game. That's together. almost like having a so. catch. You know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> like a, that's like a that's a Norman
1: <laughs> Rockwell <in> painting. <laughs> so, that 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 year's always fun too because the next next game was against McNeese State at home and. Uh, that was the year Nebraska played fourteen games, and that they season felt long. Do you remember Eli the,
0: Manning? Yeah. the big deal about the McNeese State game, though? David like, David Horn. Well, it was the the whole conversation was about Kurt Dukes, right? And uh, whether they yeah. were going to play Kurt Dukes, and if he was going to take over, and Jamal Lord couldn't be quarterback anymore. He would have uh, that was one of those beautiful one o'clock uh, pay per view specials. I'm pretty sure.
2: If you want one more obscure one real quick, 82, I wasn't, I was one year old, but it, this game always humors me. In 1982, a great Nebraska team played at Hawaii and was losing by like 10 points going into the fourth quarter With and Turner Gill had to come off the bench because he was hurt. And they they rally and, and it's on YouTube. You can find the Hawaiian broadcast of the game, which <laughs> adds to it, and they can't pronounce Mike Rozier's name and some of these guys for some reason. Uh but I always was fascinated by like a Nebraska fan base staying up late for a game like that. Now where it's just going to hell, you know, and people are drunk and it's on the radio is the only way you can. It's just, I, I would, I would, I would enjoy kind of like a revisiting that in some form someday. But
1: zero Scott Frost wants to play a zero week game. There you go. Let's do it in Hawaii. I think everybody on this podcast would be okay with
2: that. Yeah.
0: I, for one, welcome
1: the Zero Week game.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let's close with this. Be sure to listen to the hypecast as we get inside the South Alabama game that Nebraska plays on Saturday at 11 a.m. And also be sure to check out the website, husker247.com. We've got a great deal going right now. If you buy one month, you get two for free. That will take you all the way into November and just shy of the clash with iowa so you want to take advantage of that if you are not yet a vip member that is two months for free with the purchase of one month all right we will catch you next week when we have football to discuss gentlemen yes
1: football